if you have a Bible with you, if you'd open to Ephesians chapter 1, you'll remember this prayer. It begins in verse 15. I'm going to start reading or praying, as it were, verse 17, because that's the content of the prayer. The verse 15 and 16 sets that up, uh, establishing that we are walking in faith, um, love for the saints, you know, don't cease to give thanks for you, you know, so gratitude, making mention of you in our prayers. So there's the call. We need to be praying and praying this for each other. And we're, we, we will be praying this for you, and we, we are asking you to pray it too. What? Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, PBC members, uh, individuals involved, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, which are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. What is the boundless greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and made Him head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So, Father, we pray this prayer and we trust that you're going to plant this prayer in the hearts and lives and minds and voices of this congregation. Continue to do what only you can do. Continue to work deeply in each of their lives, even as you work in mine and Allison's, in our families, in our local churches, and in the churches we work with around this great country. Lord, use this prayer that we would see that which only you can do. Do enlighten our heart. It's a dark place, Lord. We don't understand what's going on inside of our own heart. Your word says we can't. And yet right in the middle of it, you work and you enlighten those things. You bring to mind those things that are true for me and for us. May that be true here. Because you are the point. Your glory is the point. Your work is the point. May that be the focus that these fine folks have and discover and experience in you, even as they press into your hope, the hope of the gospel, and they recognize that your hope does not disappoint. Grant the grace of that, I pray in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So if you take that little handout that I've provided you, you'll notice that it's called a missing discipline. I'll tell you where this came from. Um, I've... I've been, over the years, we see a lot of different things that happen in the life of local churches. And there are times when we'll see a particular thing missing in the life of a church. Now, I will tell you, it's not completely missing. <laughs> Sometimes it's there, but it, the impact of what it's there to produce or, or is missing or is weak. The benefit that God has through that discipline in the life of that congregation is, is, is lacking. It's not fully being experienced. 
this discipline that I'm going to mention to you is one I believe is lacking here. It's lacking in a lot of different people. I don't, I don't know all of you, so I can't, I'm not trying to quantify it that way, but it's lacking. And if you will embellish it, if you will develop it, if you will dive deeper into the discipline to take this particular item, this particular, it's actually a command, it's an exhortation, it's an action, it's something you do. If you take it and begin doing it more effectively, you know, sometimes this discipline gets applied and it's inadequate in how it gets applied not fully fleshed out and i'm saying and you should hear me saying this is weak here now you don't have to agree with what i'm saying you can disagree i don't mind that at all but i want you to hear it from me and from my heart to you that if you will work in this area you have real opportunity you have greater opportunity than than you have right now an opportunity to actually solve and resolve now this little outline is a description it's a guide i'm going to walk you through it the powerpoints don't show you this but it builds out and it looks more like that it's got content to it i'll build that content out for you inside of it but what i want you to know is i want this to be helpful to you so i hope that you are able to gain that and i want it to be encouraging to you you know when someone tells me i've got a weakness or something i'm missing doesn't sound encouraging on the surface. You know, I go, wow, you know, they're critical. It's, it's a criticism. I'm not, I'm not sharing it that way. I'm sharing it as an encouragement. You know, in all of our lives, don't you think, in all of our lives, we do certain things and we, we practice them, even like coming to worship. And we could do it in a more effective manner than we're doing it. I mean, it's not like it's perfect. It's not. That's what I'm saying here. So be encouraged to dive into that. This is a message for you. This is a message for you. This missing discipline, I see it here, and I see it here as a pattern, and it's a progressing pattern. And if you will break the pattern, you are going to have opportunity ahead of you to experience what God wants you to experience through the application of this discipline. If you don't apply this discipline, you fail to get the experience that God wants for you to have, the benefit of that discipline being put in place. It's kind of like the athlete. If he works out, if he does strength training, if he does the reps and does the exercises over and over again, football, it's a tackle. You know, the track star, he's getting in the, in the blocks and he's doing practices out. I mean, the, whole, the, whole, the exercise stops in four steps. But those four steps, he's going to take them over and over and over again. That's what I'm saying about this discipline. Now, this discipline is found in the book of 1 John. I will turn you there, and I will take you in a couple of different places uh, in, this, in the slides on this. Let me get my slides up. Uh, sometimes I forget that I have them. And um, let's see, what happened? Oh, I pushed the wrong thing. Okay, so... So this missing discipline is in the book of 1 John. It's, it's there. And it, as a matter of fact, there's a structure to this book. And the structure of this book actually identifies the problem of this discipline being weak or missing. He, John actually gives 
two other choices or ways that we cause this discipline to be less than what God intends for it to be in that letter. He actually names them. I'll show those to you here in just a moment. But right in the middle of it, there's this, there's this core. If you notice that center dot in the middle of this page. So it's kind of like that's where we're going to start because I believe that the core of the book is this one piece. This is what he's trying to get you now to apply. He's trying to get you to focus on that core. The elements that are around it, there's four of them that are always in play. The, the, the sixth one, the, the core being one and these four, that's five. The sixth one is the missing discipline, the weak discipline. Does that make sense? So structure-wise, you can see it that way. Now, in this book, John is going to remind us, and he reminds us of some really wonderful things. It's in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, commonly called the preamble. I'll read these verses with you. I'll comment on a couple of them and just make a point about a couple of them. So that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard. How many times has he said that? <laughs> He's making a real point, isn't he? that we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you. Why? Now, here's why he's proclaiming that Jesus Christ has come and they've touched him and he's been the one to bear our sin on his body. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. Now, pause right there for a second. There's this fellowship that God creates between us. Koinonia is this Greek word, right? It, it's a word that's also translated contribution, it's translated communion or communication. It's a, it's a, it's, it means connectedness. We have a connectedness with each other. We should have a fellowship. And quite frankly, that fellowship can get broken, right? Not hard. We can get in an individual relationship where I don't like you right now. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but where I don't like, you know, and we have this problem and our fellowship gets broken. Or it can happen congregationally where a congregation gets broken. That's what he's talking about. This is important now. This is, the, this is the structure of the beginning. But I want you to notice this next part. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Are you getting it? There's an inseparable connection between our fellowship with each other and our fellowship with the Father, with God. You can't have... Connection, fellowship, the nature of the meaning of that word with each other if it's not also with God or with God if it's not also with each other. I mean, he goes on and says that explicitly in chapter 4, doesn't he? For me to love God is to love you. If I lose that, I'm, I'm in trouble. And so this, this fellowship is inseparable. Now, if you look over there under the opportunities, the first one is we, not me. Here's, and that's my language. Here's this inseparable fellowship. And it's not just with me and you. It's with me and you and the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's connected. It's inseparable. For you to think that your fellowship here at, the, at uh, 
uh, at your church, uh, for, for you to think that your fellowship is just between the you and it's about you is, is faulty thinking. It's actually connected to him. That's why the alignment with what he teaches, the application of biblical truth has to be true of us as we relate to each other. If we break those alignments, we actually impact the fellowship that we have with the Father. And then verse 4, and we are writing these things to you so that our joy, our joy, it's we. It's not just me. It's not just you as an individual. It's we. It's us. It's the body of Jesus Christ. This is a big deal. This preamble is one of those preeminent places in Scripture where he tells us things about who we are and about what it means to be who we are. And unfortunately, because of the missing discipline, we end up in trouble. Now, if you look down in your copy of Scripture, I won't put this on the slide, but let's look down at 5 and 6. Here's what verse 6 says. If we say we walk in fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, okay, that's a problem. Now, I call this vulnerability, that B on your outline, four opportunities, we, not me. Second one is vulnerable. I am vulnerable. I am vulnerable. You are vulnerable. I need to be vulnerable and express vulnerability. If I'm not doing that, transparent honesty about myself, if I'm not doing that, I'm missing it. This is a problem for us. Now, it's, it's, you just notice, verse 5 and 6, he starts talking about the problem. Right after he's talked about these four, super, these four verses of superlative nature of who we are, he's pointing something out to us not to miss. It's not like this isn't a problem. It is a problem for me to say I walk in fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness with you. That's a problem. And I have to address that problem. So I have to become vulnerable. I have to become transparently honest about who I am and what's going on inside of me. And if I'm not doing that, I'm losing. I'm losing the ability to actually do what God's called me to do in this this situation. Does that make sense? Now, Now, I want to pause there for a moment and I want to take you back. Here's these four opportunities. You see the first two that I've already given. In a few moments, I'm going to show you how... Me not having conviction by the Holy Spirit in my contribution and the challenges that we have in broken fellowship is a problem. I need to understand how I've contributed. And if I don't understand how I've contributed, it's a problem. No conviction from the Holy Spirit about this is untenable to any of us. We always contribute. (laughs) We can't help but contribute. Why? We, not me. I am a part of you, inseparable fellowship with God, you, us, me, yes, all of the above. And if we lose that conviction, it actually leads us to having a missing discipline. Okay, the last one, the second one, the fourth one on that list, no recognition. Sometimes we just don't recognize it. And John actually says, you, you, you're part of it, why don't you recognize it in essence? We must recognize it. If we don't recognize it, we must discover it. We must learn it. And when we learn it, we have opportunity to get there. Now, how do we do that? Okay, so here comes the structure of, of 1 John. Now, this is me, okay? This is my view of this. 
You don't have to accept it, I, but I want you to think about it. I want you to consider it. There are six times in the, new, in, in the book of 1 John where he uses the English phrase, little children. Greek is pronounced ta-tekna, and it's a technical designation. He's saying something to us. You may remember in 1 John 5 where he says, I'm writing unto you who believe. You are Christians. Why? In order that you might know, epigonosko, it's a word that means experientially know, not know cognitively. That's a different word. But experientially know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow in that. This is a letter about spiritual growth. It's a letter about development. Pure and simple. And these little children are the, are, the, are the structure. In my opinion, it's the structure. Now, where they're found, you can see where they're found in this list. You can write them down. We're going to look at um, the, from 228 down, because 228 is this core. 228, though these will show up on the screen again, so you can, if you haven't gotten them all down, you can get them down as we go. Here comes the accord. Abide in Him. Look at the verse. Now, little children... Abide in him, so that when he appears, you may not, you may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Did you know that's possible? If it wasn't possible, he wouldn't be saying it to us. And his command is, no, I want you to abide in him. Now, where does that command come from? It comes from Jesus. In particular, in the scripture, it's John chapter 15. If you want the source of 2.28 in 1 John, it's the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Go home and read it this afternoon. Just think about what does it mean to abide in Him. He is saying, this is what I want for you. Listen, if I fail, and it's to me as an individual, if I fail to abide in Him and grow in abiding in Him, understanding what some have called the abiding life is about and how I'm living in it, it affects our fellowship. It affects us. So his whole goal is to get us there. That's his goal. Now, if you'll, if you'll also notice, around it, these four things that are in play, there are four areas where he uses the word little children, the phrase little children, and then he gives us a warning or an instruction to be careful about. The first one is deception. The second one is love. The third one, I just put the word greater. Greater is he, right? And the fourth one is idols. You know, we don't know enough about idols. We may know more about love than we do idols. I don't know that's true. <laughs> we may know more about deception than idols. I'm not sure they're either. We know, may know about what it means that he's greater than he who is in the world, we may know more about that one than we know about the other three. That's probably true. Which to me is sad. Because these four, once he gives the core, he says abide in him, now he's building it out. He says, what do you need to do to effectively abide in him? And watch out for deception is the first one. So here's, here it is. Little children, let no one deceive you. Now I end up coming out of that and ask the question, how do you test what you think? How do you test what you think? Let no one deceive you. Someone deceiving you by what they said to you? How do you know? 
Do you believe something that is not from God as if it were from God? You're deceived. Have you deceived yourself? The whole concept and problem of self-deception, which the book of James actually addresses. I can be very self-deceived, believing my tongue is good. And he says it is a fire set on fire by hell. (laughs) I don't believe that about me. I think I'm good. (laughs) But he's the only one that's good. Jesus actually said it, isn't it? There's only one that is good. And he is not me. I'm deceived if I think that. So how do you figure that out? So if you don't figure it out, this whole section of the first part of 1 John, uh, that should be 3, 1 1 John 3, 7, by the way. Sorry about that. That's my typo. I will get that changed. 3, 7. It's it's a problem. Deception. How do you know? You know, okay, so the second one. This one is the one about love. Chapter 3, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk. You know, that's where it stops with a lot of us. Love you, man. <laughs> I just said it. Maybe I mean it. Maybe you think I mean it. But, there's the but. This is contrast. That's not the deal. But indeed and in truth, how do I demonstrate love? And so here comes the, how do you express love? Expressing love is the demonstration of love. The words are not. The words are not. So don't kid yourself. If you're going to walk in fellowship with each other, and if you're going to abide in Him as an individual Christian and abide in Him with each other, love has to be a dynamic inside of it. He's saying, little children, don't miss this one. You have to do that. To not love your brother is to not love him. And how do you love your brother? In deed and in truth. Not just, I really do love you, man. No, no, no. Demonstration. How do you express it? And if you're not asking, how am I expressing love to my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ? Even and it could be your spouse. They're your brother or sister in Christ too. Brothers and sisters in Christ is the whole point of this thing. Not just the position in the church. I tried to say that last time I was here. It has nothing to do with leadership position. It has nothing to do with being a member. It has to do with whether I'm abiding in Him or not. That's what John is saying. Now, now the, th- the next one of these, chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God. Now, that, we have to be reminded. Sometimes we don't remember that. And have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, we, we, I heard someone say it this week. You're not my enemy. <laughs> I'm, struggling, I'm not struggling against flesh and blood. Here's Ephesians 6, right? I'm not struggling against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and world forces, darkness, spiritual darkness. I mean, that's what we are dealing with. And sometimes we go, we, we can't win that battle. And I go, hmm, that battle's already been fought. It's already been won, and you are the victor because of who he's, he's So, But if you're not abiding in him, do you think the, uh, the enemy's going to have an opportunity? You know, Ephesians 4 says, do not give an opportunity. You know, give him an opportunity, the adversary an opportunity. Don't do it. And understand, abiding in him causes you to understand the victory that you have in Christ, and you can stand in that victory. Why? Because of Him being in you. Is He in you? 
Do you have an abiding relationship in that? It's active, it's alive, it's tangible, it's real, it's cognitive, it's spiritual, it's intentional, it's relational, it's all of those things. Does that make sense? So here's this, here are these, these other things. I'll, I'll give you the last one, final verse of this little book, Little Children, Guard Yourself from Idols. Keep yourself from idols, put up a guard. You know what? I don't think you can guard yourself from something if you don't know what it is. How do you do that? You walk into a building, do you need a gas mask because of what's in the air? <laughs> well, if you don't know, it can kill you. You can go to sleep at night and wake up in heaven the next morning because your body is dead because of something in the air you could not recognize. Radon. I mean, there's all kinds of examples of it, right? The idol is that enemy of you. And you know what the problem is? The idol starts in the heart. My idolatry is inside me. It's not your fault. Your idolatry is inside you. It's not the other person's fault. If you don't understand what your idol is and own that, guard yourself from it, you're making a huge mistake. That's what John is saying. Now, as I said last time, I think, I said it in the seminar usually, I wish he had written chapter six. <laughs> this is the end of the book. And defined an idol and gave me examples of it and told me how, what to do with it. How do you guard yourself from it? I wish he had done that. and Give me a, a matrix of saying there's 43 idols. You know, you might have seven of them, but not eight or whatever. I mean, whatever. He, he didn't say any of that. It's kind of left to your, it's left up to you. You know why? Because idolatry is personal. And idolatry is personal between you and your Lord. An idol actually raises anything or something to the level of being deity. And you worship it, you serve it, you love it more than you love your God. That's idolatry. We are idolatrous. I don't know about you, but I can get there in a minute. I can get there by one sentence someone says to me that I don't like. And I don't love that person in deed and truth. I actually want them to go away. That's idolatry. So if I don't know what my idols are, I'm in trouble. I have this problem. And these, each of these places, whether it's how well am I loving? Not perfectly. How well am I guarding myself from idols? Not perfectly. What do I believe that's actually not the truth? Am I deceived? I don't know. That's the problem with deception. You don't know what you're deceived about. <laughs> if you did, you would not be deceived. <laughs> You'd be making a choice whether you're going to embrace something you believe is not the truth. And then the enemy, you know. I mean, quite frankly, you know, I think about that text in Colossians where it talks about him having, you know, Jesus having his foot on the neck of the enemy. He's defeated. You honestly, you have to deal with him. Don't get me wrong. And you have to deal with his wiles and he's sneaky and just all those things. But it, you don't have to, you don't deal with him because he has more power over you than you do. That is not truth. That is a place of deception. You, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That guy has no power over you. 
unless you give him opportunity. And we give him opportunity by not focusing on abiding in him, by not paying attention to these four areas, you know, and by missing this whole thing of the, the, the discipline. So this box, it's a rectangular box over on the left-hand side. This is, this is where I'm writing about this now. Okay, so at the top of the box, it has two little quote marks. Just write the word barrier across like it is highlighted on the screen. Write the word barrier because there's this barrier to us. So, so, so let me just make this explicit so it's not hard to figure out, okay? The very thing that is keeping you from getting to abiding in Him, the very thing that Jesus and John are making a point about in John, 1 John chapter 1, is what I do with what I have done. Now, to make that specific... What am I doing with my behavior toward you? What am I doing with my behavior toward God? What am I doing with my sin? Verse 7, the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. But look at verse 8. I think it's the next slide. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Their self-deception. And the truth is not in us. Listen, I am a sinner. You are a sinner. If I say I don't have any responsibility in that situation, I mean, you're off track. I sin all the time. Theologically, we would say everything I do has a mixture of error within it. I believe that. Because I'm not perfect. I can't be perfect. Even in my obedience. You could tell me how I could obey better. (laughs) Especially if it's toward you, <laughs> right? I mean, and this is that C on, your, on the left-hand side, no conviction. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us because it's just never true of me. Do you believe that? That's what, it's say, that's what that text is saying. He's putting the context in place to get us ready to own what we need and remove the barrier of abiding in Him, toward abiding in Him. And how I think about myself, what I see my contribution to challenges, fellowship with you, fellowship with God, to be, is essential. And when I don't understand it, when there's no conviction, when I'm not recognizing the Holy Spirit's work, He's in this world convicting the world of sin. He convicts every one of us of it every day. It's the nature of his, of his work among us. Does that make sense? So that's a barrier to you. If you say you have no sin, it's a barrier. Well, look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, now he's talking about a very specific situation. We have, you and I have this problem and we're battling against each other. Congregation has a problem and there's a battle inside the congregation. That's what this is talking about. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Sin is innate with inside the human being. We call it the fallen uh, nature, right? We call it the sinful man, the old man. There's different texts in Scripture about it. We, we call it that. We say one day in heaven, this old will fall off and new will come, but not till then. That's what he's talking about. It's true of me. And if, if I look at you and say, look, you're the dastardly deed dude here. <laughs> I'm not. 
You actually make God a liar. I call that no recognition. That's a D. No recognition. I'm not recognizing how I contributed to a, to a situation. In mediation, we try to help the parties understand what happened. And, and listen to the person you offended. They have a view of it that's legitimate. Listen to the person you offended. What they experienced at your hands is at your hands. Whether you know that or not, if you don't recognize it, open up your eyes. Let them help you see it. When they help you see it, you make progress. If they don't help you see it, you stay stuck. This discipline, which is confession, you can just write that in the box, this discipline of confession will become weak. You won't believe you need to. I haven't sinned. Now, you know what? I don't believe that's ever true. How have you, do you even recognize that you've sinned? Because if you end up saying, I have not, this is just like straightforward words from God's Word. John says you actually make Him, Christ, a liar. If you say you haven't sinned, you think you're perfect. <laughs> not possible. Are you, saying, are you understanding me? And this is part of the problem with conflicts. And especially when we're so fact-based in our arguments. It takes us away from looking at the heart. It takes us away from what part of this am I deceived about. Another way to ask that is, what don't I know? I'm not even thinking about what I don't know. I'm telling you what I do know. And what I do know is enough. Is that ever true? Sure. Is it fully true? Never. I mean, what I know is necessary. We need to have those argument or talk. And I don't mean just argue, because that's a, John, a James 1 problem. I, I'm not saying we need to argue, or James 4, sorry, problem. I, we need to have the discussion. We need, to, we need to get to the sense of it, and we need to get to the sense of it inside of our heart. If we do that, we make progress. If we don't, this barrier comes. And it's, and it's a huge barrier. But you see, this very same thing that can be a barrier to us can be a bridge. Bottom of the thing, little quotes you can write the word bridge in. I mean, confession, weak confession where I go, I don't do anything. Weak confession where I don't know what I did. Weak, not helpful. Biblical confession where you own it and you fully own it. And you're asking questions like, how do you know what God says about your sin? How do you know what God says about your sin? You know, I've heard a thousand times and I've said more. <laughs> the only thing I did was, I just did. What you did is worse than what I did. You own 51% or 99, somewhere between there, of it. I own one. Okay, I did it, but I'm minimizing the very thing that is the discipline. It is the, the, the chapter 2, verse 1. Little children, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is our advocate. And in 1 John 1, 9, which is the instruction in 1 John, and notice it's conditional. In 1 John 1, 9, he's saying, hey... 
might you move somewhere that you're not right now? Might you do apply this discipline where you're not right now if we confess? And listen, I could tell you what this is in Greek, first-class conditional sentence, stuff like that. I won't do that. I'll just simply say that means it's conditional. If you don't confess, the opposite of what the benefit, what the provision of the gospel when you confess is, is lost to you. And what is that? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is forfeited when a person refuses to confess. That's what it's saying. Forgiveness is provided when a person actually confesses. Say the same thing God says. That's the word confess, by the way. That's in explicit language. That's what it means. Doesn't mean I admit, okay, I know I'm not all perfect here. No. What is it specifically? Thus, this question, how do you know what God says about your sin? If you don't dive into God's word and understand what he actually says about the subject that you just did, whether it was a lie or whether it was deception or whatever it was that you did, you're missing it. You're, missing understand, you're misunderstanding it. And I'm pretty convinced, in my opinion, that 1 John 1, 9 indicates something when I have a repetitive sin. When this sin just keeps showing up. Do you have any of those? Just say yes, right? <laughs> Do you know what they are? <laughs> we may not. Especially if we defend ourselves all the time. Or if we build up a guard against someone pointing out something that's true for us. And I'm not saying that's easy. That's hard. That's tough to take. But if we take it, if we listen... If we get to the reality of, what, of who we are in Christ, that we're in inseparable fellowship with ourselves, with each other, us, we, not me, and Him. It's, it's together. It's the same thing. And we have, but, he, but He immediately says, we need the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of His Son cleanses us from all sin. There's no other source for cleansing of sin except the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other source. Do I believe that? Or do I just say, I'm not the bad guy here. I haven't sinned. Or do I actually take up this verse 9 and say, not only, it's, it's not just if for me, it's I am. And I want to understand it. So I dive into God's word to understand it. I listen to the person who I've sinned against and how I've offended them. I listen to them very carefully. So that I can understand the dynamics of what happened at, the, at my behavior, or my attitude, whatever my sin was. I, I, I get a really good glimpse of it. Then I can understand whether I'm deceived or not, whether I'm loving that person or not, whether the enemy is active or not, or whether I have idolatry or not. And how idolatry actually fits. Those other four, the final four, because those stand against me. Those stand a those are the conditions, those are the warnings, those are the places where my abiding in Him will be tested. And every time it's tested. Every time. Every mediation we do and every reconciliation that occurs gets tested. It gets tested. And it should. It's not like it's perfect, everything's great after that one little event. No, no, God's up to something much, much deeper than that. You know, it's, it's interesting. Biblical confessing, the missing discipline. And I'm saying biblical because I'm not saying people don't confess, but we just confess way too weakly. We say, if I sinned against you. And the other person are going, if? <laughs> are you kidding me? 
Instead of saying, if I sinned against you, say, how did I sin against you? How did I offend you? When I do that, I start learning. When I do that, I'm becoming vulnerable. And I am vulnerable. You are vulnerable. Be it. Don't, don't run away. Don't be afraid of it. Allow it to be real to you. Step in and say, how? Step in and say, tell me what I don't know. How has my sin punished you? How has my sin negatively affected you? How did my sin contribute to how you judge? Even judge me, because you don't like me right now. I sinned against you. <laughs> okay. Okay. What do you do with that? You own it before God, if we confess. You know, here's something I said to you last time on that Wednesday night when we were last leaving water. In water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. Your heart reflects you. And we need this, right? You remember this? We need this. There's the truth of it. What I know about my sin is just on the surface. If I'll dive underneath, God will show me stuff in my heart that I didn't know was there. Judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 Revealing. Is, do you want that? Do you? You know, when we want it, we, we make progress every time. I know I've gone long. Thank you for your patience. Um, Father, help us. Help me. I'm in this boat too. <laughs> I face it. I've got quite a number of fronts right now where I'm facing it. And wanting, I really long to gain what you are after for me and all of that. And for these folks, they're not only facing it individually, some of them more than others, but they're facing it congregationally. I pray that you give them great wisdom, that Ephesians 1 prayer, may they really see what you're up to and doing inside of it. Use it, Lord, now. Um, Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. May I be like you. In Christ's name, amen.